welcome to Koshien Cast, the place where we wonder who we wronged in a past life to be forced to still watch Tiger Mask every week. <laughs> My name is Matt, and joining me today is a very special guest, Matt. Hey, what's going on, man? Uh, not much. I am uh, here to report excitedly uh, on week five of the winter anime season where we'll be covering every sports anime that aired between january 29th and february 4th um do you have anything exciting to share before we dive in uh nothing in particular uh we do not have any new itunes reviews as far as i'm aware no but we're always welcome you know happy to share them when we get them um but yeah all that all that being said i think it was a pretty pretty straightforward week um and I think we can start off with uh, Yawapeda. Alrighty, uh, that's on me then. So, <clears throat> this week we get the resolution to the uh, Minagama uh, ride. Uh, Onoda basically pulls ahead of Ashikiba and wins. Uh, and then after that we get a little bit more backstory on Ashikiba, where he finds where we find out that he had a lot of issues with his height learning how to ride. But the captain of Hakone, uh, Fukutomi, who we saw last season, gave him a lot of encouragement to try again, but when he, uh, or basically to improve himself. However, he discovered that he, uh, when he was asked to race for the team, he succumbed to pressure and couldn't pull through, and so he got completely benched from the team for a while. And he, uh, but he's happy to find out that he's going to be able to come, that just because he lost, he's going to be able to come back. Uh, then we also get a, uh, it kind of flashes forward a little bit to a, a different race uh, where it's more of a sprinter race. So we have uh, Tadakoro, Naruko, and Aoyagi. Uh, they are all, uh, they are all racing. And uh, basically Tadakoro pulls ahead and wins that. And then we just sort of get a bit of a resolution to, uh, a final farewell to Tadakoro and uh, Kinjo as they kind of finally leave the club because they now have to focus on studies. Right. Uh, so this week, it was a little straightforward. I'm just going to tell you this right now. I am incredibly grateful that we didn't that this entire episode was not spent on Anoda trying to catch up to Ashikiba. That was 100% my fear um, because as we saw in past seasons with the Inter High, you know, they could spend entire episodes and go about 300 meters. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I was convinced they're like Oh, there's only a there's only one kilometer left, and I was just bracing myself like this is going to be a long kilometer. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, they they managed to avoid that. Um, what did you think? Uh, like, so ba basically, the the in universe reasoning for how Anoda one was that uh, Imaizumi and him were riding together, and then they uh, they observed. Teshima and Ashikiba up front, and Imaizumi asked him, "Is he is he faster uh, than Makashima?" And you know, Noda says, "No, he's not." They're like, "Okay, so go catch him." You know, right? Um, and so was that it? that yeah, you're right. I I got it backwards. That wasn't Imaizumi. That was Teshima. I'm yeah. Sorry. Okay. No, um, no, you're fine. The Anyway, so so basically, the reason was is is Ashikiba faster than 
Makishima. There's too many names to keep track of here. Um, <laughs> and Noda says, no, they're like, so can you catch him? He says, yes. And then he does, and then it's over. You know, it's just sort of like, um, I don't know, go ahead. I, I think what I kind of took from that was that, and I, I actually did kind of like that a little bit, was that uh, it, it's kind of a mental block. Like, you know, you're kind of freaking out and getting really worried. You know, it's like, oh my god, this guy is so good, what do I do? You know, you kind of need that little reminder. Is he really the best person you've ever seen, though? Like, you've been able to keep pace with way better people than uh, than this guy, right? Right. Uh, and so I, I didn't particularly mind that. Um, what, uh, I, I thought it was interesting, uh, that this entire episode was kind of setting up the Sohoku team to basically play catch up to the third years, because what we had during this was, uh, even though Onoda won, he still, uh, like, he wasn't, he wasn't even close to Makashima's best time for the Minagama run, because they had that little reminder at the end, it's like, you know, he was off of this by, like, an entire 34 seconds. Yeah, I wondered about that line, though, because they said, you know, once again, Onoda failed to break the record that Makashima <laughs> set last year. It's like, what do you mean, once again? Yeah, it's like, this just happened. Yeah, like... If he set the record last year, then how could it fail? How could he fail to break it again? They're just right. trying to rub it in, <laughs> like, <laughs> like the 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 stadium or the course announcers, like, hey, guess what, Anoda? You may think you you won today, but you're still not as good as Makashima. Just wanted you to know. Yeah, it was a little weird uh, writing there, and I guess because I guess what the it's one of those instances where I think in the writer's head that they're really trying to drive home the uh, the point, you know, it's like, Onoda's not close to Makashima yet, you know, he still has a way to go before he can catch up to him. Uh, so, you know, he has to have that line to, you know, it's like, once again, he fails to do that. It, but it's not really one of those lines that actually comes off naturally in dialogue. Like, you could have just easily said, like, now, just as a reminder, like, we did, there were no records broken, the record is still, uh, like, so-and-so time... By uh, Makashima, who and like uh, Onoda missed that by like thirty four seconds. You didn't have to. The, the once again does kind of get in the way there. Yeah, it's not really like a huge deal, but I, I guess I didn't really mind it so much because I did like the fact that they're setting up that, and I did like that sprinting race that we saw that we kind of came in the middle of, or pretty mm -hmm. much at the tail end of uh, that. Uh, Tadakoro and the uh, the other sprinters on the team were having. Uh, right. Just because I I did kind of like the fact that Tadakoro refused to let them just win. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, uh, I mean it was it was it was only because everyone had to decide their own reasons for winning, and ultimately, Tadakoro's was that you know if if they beat me now, they'll think they're good. Like I need to go out right. on top so they they still have something to strive for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, and I mean it's always because that way there's always that goal that they're never like. Because, like, they never were able to beat Tadakoro. I guess Aoyagi, Aoyagi did one time. Right. But, you know, they still, they never really beat him in an official race. And they're never going to be able to live that down. So that always gives them that ideal to shoot for. Yeah. It was, uh, I thought it was kind of funny that they were both mad at him. Saying, like, you're supposed to pass the torch. What's wrong with you? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, I thought that would have been, I, I think... Had they done the pass the torch moment there, it would have been a little boring. Yeah. Uh, just because, 
Because at the very least, like, not only does it give them to shoot for, it also kind of give sets up an expectation for us as the viewers because, you know, it's like we've already kind of established that Onoda's not really quite up to Makashima yet, and now the second years, or uh, Imaizumi and Aoyagi, you know, they still have to shoot for Tadakoro. Right, it, it you know... Or, I'm sorry, uh, sorry, I mean uh, Aoyagi and uh, Naruko, my bad. Yeah. It, it gives them something else to work on, you know, some, right. some other goal to have. And, uh, like, not only that, but it also kind of, it does help set up the plot thread for what we're going to be following uh, during the season. You know, they're gonna tr they're trying to live up to this past generation that's kind of leaving them behind now. You know, yeah. it kind of... Uh, it, it's it's kind of a little bit... It, it kind of sets up the fact that it's like, you know, these third years were kind of safeties for, like, our main cast of characters. And now we're kind of losing that, that like, safety net. Yeah, they have to rely on themselves. Um, what did you think at, at the very end of the episode? They had uh, Nikuma and Imaizumi get together and, and I say, like, hey, you know, Nikuma's like, oh, what, what did you want to talk about? And Imaizumi's like, oh, you must have noticed it too. And that's how the episode ends. What, what do you uh, think they were talking about? I honestly have absolutely no idea. Generally, like, the an episode will do something that, like, maybe just, like, a very brief hint at something. Like, maybe, like, a character winces or they are checking their phone or something like that during something and it's like you know that's gonna like kind of set in our mind okay maybe there's something going on there you know the end of the episode realizes okay we're gonna address that next episode guys mm -hmm. uh we didn't really get anything like that in this episode it's kind of, it, it almost feels like a little a little heavy-handed in kind of trying to sort of force a little bit more drama into the situation like because we're just, we're not getting that satisfying setup and then the payoff to it yeah, well, for what it's worth, my assumption was because this happened right after they had the retirement ceremony, such as it is for Kinjo and uh, Tadakoro, right. and so I figured they were likely referring to the fact that okay, didn't you notice there's only five of us now left, and like we don't we don't really have anyone else to fill out the roster in order to keep us competitive, right? Um, so I like. Get we need to start recruiting. That's what oh, I assumed it was. Okay. Well, because it's interesting because they do have seven teammates because they have that one kid whose name just basically escapes me. I think it's uh, Yananagi, I think. Yeah. Uh, he, he was always kind of treated as like the kind of the, uh, the comic relief last season who didn't really, because he was the one who always pretended he knew what he was talking about. And while he did slightly, he also wasn't very good. Right. Uh, I, I did kind of appreciate in this episode that they did start up just a tiny plot thread for him because he's kind of frustrated that he keeps falling behind like all of the other members of the team. So I, yeah. I'm kind of glad to see that they're going to try and go to try and take his character in a little bit more of a dramatic uh, way. Do you know who that other guy on the team was? Because there were seven pe there were yeah. pe seven people wearing jerseys in that room. I have no idea who the other guy with glasses there was. Yeah, no, cause... I was very confused by that myself. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was trying to think, it's like, did they have, like, another member on their team, like, that they showed, like, very early on, but we never, but, like, never really came up, because he was just always, like, a, just, like, a regular well, member? 
I don't know. Whoever it was, he wasn't at the Inter High, I can tell you that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, he was... It's like, at the very least, Aoyagi and Teshima were around during the Inter High, even if they didn't yeah. have a whole lot to do. Yeah. So, no, I have no idea who that was supposed to be. Okay. Um, but I, I imagine mean... that they're gonna find, like... It's probably gonna jump ahead a little bit, because this is the end of the, the cycling season, so it'll probably jump ahead a little bit, and they'll finish their like the school year or something and then they'll like have this recruiting episode where they find the elite cycling first year whatever right where because yeah because we because he's in the promo art right we've already seen the character yeah, we know that it, the there's a character and we haven't met him yet who's gonna right and that's kind of, that's honestly one of the big issues with uh with a lot of, like, promotional and marketing material, and we'll get into this a little bit later during the Minami Kamakura section, is, like, it kind of, it does kind of spoil a little bit of the fun, like, it's like, oh, who's this character? It's like, ooh, who are they gonna get? Well, we know, we've seen the promotional material. Yeah, or the opening animation. Yeah, or the opening animation. They kind of spoil that. Yeah. But, anyway, uh, do you want to move on to something that was not spoiled for us <laughs> by all means talk about march comes in like a lion all right it indeed does uh so march comes in like a lion episode 16 uh, kicks off with ray having to make up some science experiments because he had missed class uh and so his teacher drags him to the after school burners club where he observes some <laughs> science <laughs> right and then is allowed to run off and try and see the end of the match between Goto and Shimada. Uh, he runs in and Goto is talking with journalists and smiling. And so he's worried at first because he thinks like, oh my gosh, did Goto win that fast? Uh, but he runs inside uh, to where the match took place and he sees Shimada sort of bent over the board with his head in his hands. Um, but because Ray is a shogi player, he knows that that actually means that Shimada won, and he's just trying to collect himself um, because he's so mentally exhausted. Um, he ends up, after an extended conversation, Shimada and Ray de decide that Ray should join Shimada's uh, professional workshop. Uh, and so later on in the episode, he meets up at Shimada's house, uh, along with Nikaido and a new character named Shigeta, and they practice together. Uh, Shimada's kind of out of it, but the rest of them have this spirited debate about strategy. Uh, eventually, Rei and Nikaido walk home, and they argue about shogi strategy, and talk about going over to Rei's house, and then get in an argument about a duck. <laughs> and <laughs> they get really excited and ba basically are just hanging out as, as friends, which, of course, uh, is something that we can talk about as being new for Rei. Um, right. What what overall what what were your impressions? Uh, you kind of touched on it a little bit there at the end. I, I thought this was a real solid character building episode for Ray because he is actively now getting involved with other people. Yeah. Uh, like because he actually like you know normally Ray likes to try and stay off to the side while other characters kind of tr sort of steal the spotlight for him. I did love this scene in the workshop where both. Uh, Nikaido and uh, uh, Shigeta are kind of arguing about, you know, it's like, well, what's the better strategy? Like, do you 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 place the rook here, or how do you move your rook around? 
And, you know, uh, and at first it seems like, you know, uh, Ray's just going to be entering in this conversation and be like, well, you know, guys, it's, it's, it's okay. Like, both of them are, like, fine. Like, both are fine strategy. But then he kind of gets, like, really involved with the conversation and is like, yeah, no, they're both valid, you losers. Yeah. Like, I, I kind of like the fact that Ray is actively, like, arguing about Shogi. It's the most passionate we've actually ever seen him about the sport. Because normally, like, again, in the past, he's always kind of treated Shogi as being this sort of... It, it was kind of a means to an end. He kind of did it because there was nothing else in his life. And it was the only way he could really get into this, uh... Into his uh, father figure's household. Household. Right. But now we're actively seeing him, like, having fun engaging other people with Shogi. Well, and, yeah, he had a little bit of a line about that when he saw Shimada had managed to win. You know, Ray had this little moment of realization where he saw that um, me wanting to win because I don't like losing isn't enough. Like, this right. is... Uh, Shimada is someone who has a goal and like everything he does works toward a goal that he believes in um and that's the only reason he's he was able to do this and if i don't have a goal you know my my dream is basically impossible right um or like you know a reason to do what i do other than not liking to lose right exactly and you know it's you know it's nice to see like it's been a very sl- I- like a very slow subtle build for ray throughout the series um i did love that i i love that fake out that they did with shimada because because there's no dialogue actually spoken mm-hmm. during that realization like when you first see goto you see like go uh ray like look over and you see goto you know kind of standing there you know he's you know he's looking real proud uh you know like people are taking pictures of him mm-hmm. you know you're kind of assuming okay so it's like you assume that Ray thinks that uh, Goto won because just based off the setup, you know he's the one who's getting all the attention right now. Yeah, uh, you're you're kind of going along with Ray on that. You're just, you're kind of just uh, you're just kind of seeing what happens there. There's no real dialogue though. Right. Whereas when uh, when you go up there, it finally takes like Ray's explanation. I remember having to. Do, I remember I kind of did a double take there. It's just like. Okay, well, here's Shimada, lonely and broken. And then it's like, I know that look, Shimada won. It's like, wait, excuse me? Yeah, I know, I know. I did the same (laughs) thing. I'm like, you're like, wait, do you mean like metaphorically he won? Right. (laughs) No, no, he won. He won the match. (laughs) And I even wrote that down in my notes, like, Goto is the champion, it looks like. And then it's just like, wait a second. I had to like cross that out real quick. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's like, and I guess what I like about that too is that it also sets up it tells us a little bit about Goto's character, uh, just in the fact that he can, to everybody else, he can put up a good front. Mm-hmm. Like, he takes a good picture, and he can kind of, like, he can kind of contain himself a little bit at times. Like, he, like, we've, with Kyoko, it was kind of established that you know, he kind of treats her like garbage when he's mad, mm-hmm. when he loses, and, uh, but it, at least when they're, when it's people that he doesn't really know, He's able to put up that like that solid like oh you know I'm the humble loser, mm-hmm. like yeah and basically what Ray said is that because at, at a certain point towards the end of the match Goto realized he was going to lose so he was able to prepare himself and sort of compose himself where right. he could walk out and 
basically not make a fool of himself. Um, but uh, Shimada was so stressed to the end, trying to make sure that he secured his victory, that he was emotionally exhausted afterward. Right. And um, I kind of like that. I like that idea as well about, like, it's not, re- like, in our, you know, like, all sports anime kind of build up, like, victory as being this grand, glorious testament to your ability. Here, it's just like, no, like, winning is, like, not just practicing, but the actual winning is, like, an exhausting task. Like, yeah. this is something that can actually, like, like, wear you down, like, com- entirely emotionally. Well, yeah, and that's what Shimada says. He's like, I mean, look how, look how much I've been affected by this three-match series. I don't right. know how I'm going to handle a seven-match series. <laughs> Against, like, somebody who's better than Goto. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Against the greatest shogi player in Japan. Right, exactly. So, yeah, I, I really like how much, like, Shimada has been actually, like, built up over the past couple characters as being effectively, like, a major character. Well, yeah, I mean, he's sort of taken the role of being the mentor that um, that Ray needed Coda to be, but Coda never was. Right. Um, yeah, and it's and- like it was kind of an unexpected, uh, like, because even after Ray had his loss against Shimada, like, I still was not anticipating Shimada being like that big of a character like i kind of thought he would like we would maybe get a couple lines about what happened mm-hmm. to uh, shimada but i didn't think we would be following his story so closely until until they had brought up the workshop i will give you that yeah yeah you could definitely tell by last week that he was going to join this workshop um so speaking of which what did you think of the the setup of the workshop that little community uh, I was kind of surprised, like, I'm unsure if that's, like, a place that Shimada is renting out, or... No, I, I think they were saying it's his house, that's just... Okay, it is his house, okay. Yeah. Um, but it, it is kind of, it's kind of funny, because, like, when you, when you hear the word workshop, I was kind of anticipating a bit more of, like, a classroom setting of some kind. Yeah. No, I can I think it's kind of funny that it's literally just Nikaido and one other guy there. Yeah, apparently, and, you know, who who knows how... I, I can't exactly fact check a these professional shogi practices in Japan, and if I could, I probably wouldn't. But um, <laughs> and Ray says like, yeah, typically in a workshop, you'll have four professional players meet together for about three or four hours, and you're like, okay, <laughs> um, whatever you say. Uh, but it, it seemed like something like I, you know, my impression going in was. It was more like a dojo, you know, this is sort of yeah. something that he would be working at all the time. But they're like, no, we meet up once a month and play a few games of shogi. And you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought this was going to be like basically going to be the training camp from hell section for Ray. Yeah, no. Nope. I no, think no, it's... it's just, and I guess it kind of, it, it kind of speaks to the more down-to-earth feel of the show. Like, because, uh-huh. yeah, it's like, yeah, shogi, professional shogi players do get paid, but they're not, like, superstars. Right. Like, it's basically, like, a bear, like a means of survival. Like, they basically get a living wage for doing this. You know, they're not, get, they're not like, going out and, like, renting out buildings or, like, having dojos where they, like, teach people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, no, they, they're just they meet, being, like... In their living rooms or in community centers or stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's kind of fun to kind of get that real sense of reality. Unlike our next show. 
Oh, I am not ready to move on, Matt. Oh, never mind. Okay. The because I I don't think that well there are two there are two things I want to bring up and I'm sorry for eating up time or whatever but the no, the fine. first the first and most important is the after school burners club. Oh right, I knew you wanted to talk about this. I mean, there's not a ton to say, but I did like the opening where um, Ray has to do a science experiment and his teacher says like, well, you know, the only people around are the after school burners club, and I'm like, I don't know what. <laughs> Is that a thing? But yeah, it's a club for people who love using Bunsen burners. Um, sure. And they're, they're in there um, making soap. Uh, right, because they're going to sell the soap around the school. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> but I, I guess the only thing I really need to say, and the, the reason it's truly worth watching, is that they're led, uh, this club is led by a second-year student named Noguchi, who looks like a middle-aged man and has a big bushy mustache uh, <laughs> which it's just he's just a wonder wonderful character who right. refers to uh so ray accidentally spills some chemicals together but the, it ends up smelling really good and gives them a new recipe to experiment with and uh, noguchi compliments him and says that he is in english a nice guy um <laughs> which i thought was pretty great um right and the the only other thing for this episode I wanted to mention was that um, so early on Ray is talking to his teacher and basically he says that um, if you want to depend on people you need to make you know they need to be able to depend on you too at some point uh, because right. it's it's give and take and he realizes that he's always depended on um, Akari and her sisters right. uh, but they've never depended on him and that's sort of building up his his goal to be someone that someone else can depend on for once um, right. so it'll be interesting to see how that manifests itself moving forward where clearly he has this motivation to be someone to help provide or protect or whatever for the, the sisters who've meant so much to him instead of just feeling like, uh, like he's sort of leeching they're... off them yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, though, in his defense, like, when he got sick, he didn't actually go and bother them. They actually came and basically dragged him out of his home. So, I'm, I'm gonna give him, a, like, he's kind of, this is kind of a moment where he's sort of beating himself up a little bit. But it's like, you do gotta remember, man, that these girls are actively going out of their way to take care of you. Yeah, I mean, I think he just he just wants to feel like he can give someone else something. Which yeah, I yeah, think is very natural. And I, I, I thought that was a nice scene to kind of establish like uh, like Ray's kind of growing need for a goal. Yeah, um, I mean, I think I think it's a good illustration of pe- people who are going sort of you know out of a phase of more oppressive depression or angst or whatever you want to call it. Um, right oftentimes they'll realize you know if they got a support system you know they realize anew like how grateful they are for having had it you know it's like it's one of those things that you don't realize how many people are helping you while you're getting helped yeah yeah. and then and then when you're able to sort of get your head above water and look around you say like oh my gosh like i'm like, so lucky <laughs> yeah and it, I, I like too how it's been like this very slow build up like it didn't re- like it wasn't really like a big revelation it feels like we've kind of earned that this kind of moment for ray yeah, like because it, it didn't because it wasn't like preceded by like a long like 
string of moping around. I mean, okay, we did get a little moping, but he kind of pulled himself up first before he came to that realization. Well, yeah, and he pulled himself up, but he also was only able to do that because of all the people taking care of him and going out right. of their way for him, like his teacher, like the sisters, like Nikaido. Um, so, you know, we'll 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 see where it goes, but it's one of the many things I appreciate about the show. And there are also many things I appreciate about our next show, which is All Out. Right. Okay, cool. So this episode, uh, we are finally at the training camp. Right. Uh, and so what we find out about uh, Sugadaira is that it's a pretty... It's basically like a rugby mecca, it seems like. I uh-huh. mean, like, maybe not that grand of scale, but everybody basically everybody goes there to look at rugby. Or to, like, practice rugby. Uh, so everybody... So they get to their inn, uh, they get to their rooms, and then they go out for extra practice before they actually have their big practice game. And they're just kind of doing their normal practices, get exhausted... Uh, but then they ha- meet their new team, which is uh, Tenjiku, which is an up-and-coming uh, Osakan school. Right. Uh, they do, uh, and so the game begins, and uh, what we discover is that uh, Kifune has been moved to be to a fullback position, and he is seemingly not very good, but he's actually quite good. But he's actually a really solid player. Uh, however, uh, despite their best efforts, uh, Tenjiku gets their first try against them. Uh, and th- but uh, at the very end of the episode, we see a bit of a turnaround coming uh, coming back when it's uh, Jinko's ball. Uh, they see a lot of their uh, practice from over the summer starting to pay off some, uh, especially like the sumo training. And then uh, the episode kind of ends. I. Th- on a pretty decent note, like, this is kind of supposed to be the upswing for the team, unless I missed something there. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Uh, so, yeah, uh, what were your thoughts? I liked it a lot. Uh, I thought it was, you know, th- this feels like it's setting up the, the turning point. Um, right. Because the Ten- Tenjiku is a team that has a really, one really elite player and several good players players it's it's the sort of team that um that jinko would lose to all the time before because they just couldn't they couldn't organize and overcome uh, one elite player so i think what what you're gonna see here is that their training has paid off and they are able to organize as a group to um sort of neutralize that one elite player um so I i think it's it's a it's the right kind of team to illustrate Jinko's growth because, you know, they've, they've, the earlier episodes, they had them playing like the elite schools in the prefecture. So of course, you know, they went in knowing that they were going to lose this time. They're playing sort of like, you know, a a decent school, not a bad school, but not the best in their prefecture. So that's a good way to get a point of reference for, how much better Jinko's gotten. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking, especially because it's like it's really interesting for like a sports series. We have not seen uh, Jinko actually win a game, I think, ever. I could be wrong about that. No, you're right. Yeah, because they've never won any game. And so we're finally... So it's like, I think it was a good call to come to bring up this one team that's a bit of an unknown still. Because it's like, they mentioned like, it's a relatively new team... 
but they managed to get this one really elite player, and, you know, they've got a pretty solid line otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and it's like, but there's just enough vagueness in there about their team that it's not, like, it sets a good reference base while also not, like, setting the bar too low for them to struggle against them. Yeah. Because that's really what a lot of series, like, uh, have an issue with sometimes when they're trying to, like, set, like, when they're starting to establish the power rankings here, uh, is that they, they tend, like, a lot of series have a tendency to set the bar too high and then, like, and then, uh, kind of fall back down. Yeah, there's nowhere to go but up because, you know, if you end up beating the third best team in the prefecture six episodes in, like, where (laughs) do you go from there? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so it's uh, it's nice to see All Out actually... Uh, I, I think it was a good move to have uh, Tenjiku as being this team that... Because, uh, like, I think any other series would actually put, like, uh, Tenjiku as being, like, the, the dark horse, like... The dark horse team that beats, like, their main rival team and, like, this unexpected victory. Yeah. Uh, like, I think that would be the case in any other series. Like, I'm seeing it now, like, if All Out was following a bit more of a standard formula where, you know, it's like they have this established rivalry with, like, Keijo High. And, you know, they're, like, next round, you know, oh, they're certain they're going to go up against Keijo, but no. Uh, this weird, like, new weird team, uh, Tenjiku, comes in, like, mm-hmm. with this one completely elite unknown player and crushes them. Mm-hmm. So I-, I thought it was interesting to see, it, like... To kind of switch around that formula just a little bit. Yeah, one of the other ways you that it, I mean, it, it it's pretty transparent that I that Jinko's going to win this match next episode, right? Um, because of I, I guess the way that the the team has forced other people to react. So there were two things that stuck out to me in particular. Um, the first one was that when they show up at their. Uh, their lodging facility it's sort of a a somewhat run down a little sort of down on its heels in uh right a a little bit away from the downtown um and i apparently is somewhere that they had stayed before uh so this is this is not the first year that jinko stayed at this place and the owner was a little hesitant about having them there again uh because i guess the year before you know they'd been rowdy and you know gotten in trouble and uh but clearly that wasn't an issue this time because Sekizan was in charge and he looked immediately ashamed for being there because he knew what had happened the year before (laughs) right uh and then shortly thereafter they ran to the you know like they did like a 15 minute run to the playing field to practice before the game um and the hotel owner was so confused he's like wait, where are they? They're like, oh, wait, they went to go practice. He's like, what, Jinko went to go practice early? <laughs> uh, and, you know, Yoshida was the second one. He had the same reaction. Their advisor, when he showed up to the playing field and saw that, you know, they were practicing and they were excited to practice, you know. Right. Um, he's like, this This still, he still has not fully processed how different the team has become without him noticing in that, everyone wants to practice before a game right Um, so i thought that was that was a cool way of not not making it too on the nose but having characters who knew the old team slowly react to the new team 
right. Yeah, I mean, that was that's interesting. I actually hadn't really quite thought about it like that, because I was kind of just taking this as, like... Because the way I had taken it was that it was... Like, this was all kind of leading up for the introduction of Miki, who I don't know is going to really be that important of a character, but for some reason she's sticking around in, uh, in watching the game. Who's Miki, Matt? Uh, Miki is the uh, niece of the Ibuka Inn owner who is working there and discovered that they had some uh, desserts left over, so they went to go take... So she went to go take them to uh, to Jinko, and she just is just she decided to just stick around and start watching the game. Yeah, I think it was gelato, but they referred to it as jelly. Jelly. And... I, I guess it was maybe maybe I think it might be like a type of like Jello. Oh, that makes more sense because I don't like, because they... remember Jello is a brand name. So. Um... Oh, okay. Yeah, that's probably what it is. <laughs> But yeah, it's like, I don't know how important she's going to become, but, you know, she's still there watching the game and reacting to yeah. it. So. I, I imagine they'll just use her during the training camp arc in order to sort of sit on the sidelines and uh, talk to Umeman, the manager, and sort of discuss the strategy and be like, oh, what's that guy doing? And then have it explained to you. So as the viewer, you can sort of learn. Right. Which is because it's good to have those types of have multiple of those types of characters just to kind of deflect from uh, like having the having the same set of characters always explain like what's yeah, exactly. happening in the game. So that way, because it's like because it's like you already have Gion and you already have Yoshida to do that for. But you know, well, yeah. if it's just those two, it starts to get a little predictable. It's like okay, well now we're gonna get the explanation now. Having yeah. multiple characters does make that a little bit more interesting. You know, this one had a lot of people, so it kept it mixed up. They had another team that was sitting on the sidelines observing, and they were explaining what right. was going on. They also had the coach talking to some of the other players about what Kifune was doing well and why he was doing it well. They had Gion always needing to learn, and they had Miki uh, not totally understanding uh, right. what was going on and having that explained to her by the manager. So they had four different ways that the game was being explained so i thought that was really you know right. solid. Again, it, it, it it makes it a little bit more natural uh to actually have multiple characters there who need that explanation right because uh, they're all having different things explained to them like everyone knows some stuff right. but everyone has questions about different things so that feels a little bit more like how an actual game would be watched it's right. not like there's one idiot who doesn't know anything and <laughs> everyone explains everything to that one you know right but sports anime can uh do that sometimes unfortunately right. yeah no exactly um again it's not really like had the series had just like the one idiot who didn't know anything you know that's fine like it's not really that big a deal but it, it it's it's in the details like the yeah. details tend help it's a nice they, bonus they, they tend it helps you not draw attention to those things while watching. Yeah. Uh, one other thing along those lines I wanted to mention as well was actually the city of Sugadaira. Okay. Uh, and it's, uh, it, it's, again, it's a minor thing, but it's like, you know, one of the things that they mentioned is like, hey, they actually have rugby stores here. And yeah. This was a very minor detail that I think before we started this podcast, I never would have appreciated until now. Uh, just on the basis of, like, it go, thinking back to, like, Scorching Ping Pong Girls. Like, <laughs> the girl, like, uh, oh, I don't even remember, uh, whatever her name, Blue Hair Girl is. You know, her family owns a ping pong shop with all sorts of different types. Why? Is that, like, a decent business? Like, yeah. 
like I don't know who cares like yeah. and there was no like, explanation for it yeah but in this it actually makes sense because it, before we've already seen them go to just like you know for their rugby stuff they just generally go to like a general sports store mm-hmm. whereas now they're in Sugadaira which is actually like it's like this is a city that's kind of known for rugby like this is where everybody goes every year for their big like rugby meetups it's the only place that has a reason to have a rugby store yeah exactly they mentioned it's like hey there's a multiple rugby stores here it's like this makes sense there's actually it's like it makes sense for there to be rugby stores here because this is a major market for it yeah the way i kind of thought about it was it's it's like an equivalent uh if you know cooperstown in new york Um, which is where the baseball hall of fame is Uh, it's effectively like a baseball village so everything in the in the town revolves around the baseball hall of fame and it has like a disproportionate number of baseball fields and baseball stores because of it um so it's sort of like like a temple to baseball as it were so i imagine i don't know if you know sugadaira has the japanese rugby hall of fame or anything um but culturally they realize that that's their their niche and so they're overrepresented on everything rugby the same way Cooperstown in the US is overrepresented in everything baseball right okay interesting so there we actually have an example it's like yeah this is something that actually does happen yeah of course definitely like yeah. it, like so again it's like it, it helps establish the world like all out on its own would be fine but it's like it's a lot of just these small details that are really helping like build it up yeah my favorite small detail was the fact that after watching kifune play uh, fullback really well guillon who always takes notes during the matches wrote down <laughs> plane is good yep i i made note of that myself that yeah. was pretty because it's like you see him like very intently making notes and then you finally <laughs> yeah. get a peek at his notes and it just says hey plane's good yeah, like, why, why do you feel like that's, that's the conclusion? Is Like, like you that's your takeaway from that? Yeah, anyway. So speaking of something plain, do you want to discuss Tiger Mask? <laughs> that was a surprisingly effective transition, please, by all means. Thank you. All right, so uh, the, <laughs> the New Japan Pro Wrestling Rural Japan Bus Tour continues... <laughs> Apparently, I don't know why this started, how it started. It's just, <laughs> it's just happening, and we can't unmake it happen. Um, the uh, and it starts off with a wrestler, uh, an NJPW wrestler who apparently exists, named Makabe, sure, who shows up and asks Tiger Mask and Haruna whether they like sweet stuff. And then they all talk about how nobody likes Makabe. Um, (laughs) uh, Eventually, he forces the two of them and another wrestler named Honma to accompany him while he samples the uh, sweet delicacies of the city they're in. Um, It doesn't seem too rural, but whatever. Uh, And he goes from bakery to bakery across the city trying to purchase the limited items at each bakery so like their specialty item or whatever and every bakery he goes to they're sold out of their special item and they're very frustrated but they find out that there's some foreigners who are buying up all the pastries and they assume it's global wrestling monopoly but it's not it's bullet club who are other japanese 
wrestlers and they're sort of like and these these are act well they're they're an actual wrestling group in japan um it's a group of tongan wrestlers so yes they're foreign but they're not gwm um and so their leader kenny goes around uh and he wants to buy all the sweets so that makabe can't get them and so he purchases hundreds of sweets and eats all of them himself apparently uh, and then they get in a street fight over strawberry cream puffs because Kenny eats all the strawberry cream puffs. Um, there are several counts of assault that don't get reported. Um, <laughs> and eventually they they go back without having purchased any sweets. And uh, there's a three-person match. So Makabe, Honma, and Tiger Mask are on the same team. But Makabe doesn't care about fighting because he wasn't able to get any sweets. So what's the point? Um, but it turns out the winner of the match gets, you guessed it, sweets. Yeah. Uh, so he gets super motivated, and they take down Bullet Club in a dominating fashion, and because all of them have stomach aches from eating too many sweets, yeah. and they and they win the end. Um, this was this was bad. It, yeah. it might not have been as bad as last week, but <sighs> it was pretty bad. I- Last week was more offensively bad. Sure, this was sure. just boring. It was deeply boring. Like, um, a real quick, while you were talking, I looked. Up, I did a little bit of research just on uh, Makabe. Apparently, his nickname is Sweets Makabe, and yeah. apparently, he has actually missed matches thanks to having like severe, um, like stomach aches after eating too many sweets. Yeah. Uh, so, like, huh. that is, I guess, his hook. It, like, this is well-documented and known in Japan. That's a, okay. All right. Yeah. Well, I, I, mean, I, I was sure it was based on something real, but... Right. Like... Uh, so, yeah. I, I don't even know what to make of this episode. Like, it's filler. Like, that's what... There's nothing else to really be said about it outside of the fact that we could have gotten this all resolved in one visit to, or like two visits to a uh, to two different bakeries. Yeah, no, they you, went you to like go, five. Yeah, we go to like five and have the exact same thing happen over and over again. All you needed to do was go to the one and be like, okay, well they're out here. That's fine. We'll go to a different one. And then they go there, that one is sold out, and then they run into Bullet Club. Bam! There we go. Now we have our setup. We didn't need to have, we didn't need to establish that we go to, like, every bakery in town and watch, uh, Makabe, uh, overreact to every single, like, visitation. Yeah. I think, I mean, my best guess is that, well, so... We've basically just determined that Tiger Mask is an ad for right. New Japan Pro Wrestling, the actual organization. Um, so I imagine that like every major wrestler just gets their own episode at some point. So they just had to decide they had to do a Makabe episode, and there was no way for it to be relevant to the plot. Right. So we're just on the bus tour, and we're gonna go around and see everybody, I guess. Uh, yeah. There was one line I kind of, I got a little bit of a chuckle out of, which was, uh, 
when they're in the match and the Bullet Club is uh like one of the things that the me- one of the Bullet Club members mentions is that they're having problems because they have a stomachache because they ate too many sweets and it's like okay if this is a show that is kind of made for Japanese children or really just you know children in general like okay you had to have your one line in there telling kids hey <sighs> don't overindulge in sweets yeah yeah I think I think that was the timeless character bad luck fail. Um, <laughs> Yeah, was he? Is he the one who has like the kiss type pa- uh, face? No, paint? no, no. That's that's. Uh, I think his name is like Tamil Tonga or something like that. Uh, right. But anyway, he was in an earlier episode, and there he is. Uh, yeah, there was. It was. It was an, an almost intensely uninteresting episode. Right. I, I did also get a laugh at Hanma at his specialty technique, which is basically falling over and landing on people. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There are several shots. Um, so Kenny's on the ground, and Honma just like does a plank and falls face first onto his and like abs. Yeah, basically he like headbutts them, but in like the weirdest way possible. Because yeah, as you mentioned, he just sort of planks on them and just sort of just lets gravity do the work for him. <laughs> yeah, it it's not as if he's diving into them or like creating some additional force. He's just falling over which i mean again if hanma's a real wrestler i guess that's what he does but it's like i just i can't imagine this is actually that effective because literally you have to make sure that they're stuck on the ground in order to do this and i have to imagine like a knee drop has got to hurt way more than just somebody lightly falling on your stomach (laughs) i don't know i don't know it's it's bad it's weird Uh, i don't really want to talk about this anymore (laughs) unless you're uh, uh, I I have nothing else uh, worthy or interesting to okay, say about so it. So speaking of something else that was deeply uninteresting, do you want to talk about Minami Kamakura High School Girls Cycling Club? No, you do. Okay, good. I'm glad. Okay, so this episode, we uh, the bike shop owner next to the cafe comes back. Uh, she looks like a really girl, a little girl, but don't worry, guys, she's an adult. Uh, and then she lets the girls try out their uh, her bicycles. Uh, because they need bicycles, you know, because they're a cycling club, yet nobody owns a bicycle. Yeah. Also, they need to figure out something to do for the cycling club. Did I miss anything? Um, they, like, lo- they learn about different kinds of bikes. bikes. Yeah, I mean, we get a lot of montage shots of them trying different bikes. And we have a very long discussion about different types of bikes that is then punctuated with a line about how the cafe shop owner likes the fact that the uh, the, sh- the store ma- store manager is uh, very childlike. Yeah, I guess the only other plot point I had was at the very end, uh, Shiki, their club advisor, gets a poster for the night criterium race okay yeah that's which right. is clearly gonna be the the way that they prove they got results whatever that right. means um do you want to talk about that intro segment with the principal yeah basically they're like okay well you need results okay sure so what do we do I don't know, you figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I loved that. They're like, yeah, you can't be a club if you don't get 
the results. Oh, and they <laughs> and ask, what type of results? And she's like, I don't know, that's for you to figure out. What? Yeah, like, we insist on you having lots of experiences. <laughs> like, what do you want the club to do? Like, I don't... Things. Like, yeah, they want him to do... She wants him to do things. This seems like a series that seems deeply determined to not do anything. Yeah, uh... I don't know. I, I'm I'm sure it's setting him up for a race, um, right. because that's the easiest thing to do. And you know, the girls basically decided they were all going to get road racer bikes anyway. Um, right. Yeah, I guess. And like, also, how stupid is it that they're forming a cycling club, and only one person owns a bike? Well, only one person owns like a road bike. I think. Right. Well, yeah, because Hiromi owns like, uh, whatever you know, a commuter bike basically. But that doesn't. It's not going to get you very far. Yeah, yeah. Exa- I'm just saying in general, like, you know, this should have been like episode two at the very most. <laughs> I know, I know. We're almost halfway through this show, and they have they don't own bikes yet. <laughs> <laughs> They don't, we don't even see the entire cast from the opening yet. Because we know we have one more girl. And I'm sorry, everybody. I'm going to spoil it for you because I'm sick of sitting on this. Her name is Sandy McDougal, and I want to know what her deal is. I know, yeah. Clearly she's like a foreign character, an American character. Like, of that's what Japanese people assume American people's names are like. Yeah, basically. I'm sorry to have spoiled it, but I'm just like... We are nearly at the halfway point for the series, and we don't have the full club established yet. I know. The I, I imagine it'll happen next episode because they'll be like, oh, we can do this race and get the results. Yeah. Uh, but we need to have five members in order to do it. What do we do? And then they'll, like, someone will walk up to them and say, Are you a bike club? I would like to join the bike club because I like biking with you. I will bike now. Uh, because that's how this show works. <laughs> yeah, basically. And that'll be Sandy McDougal. Yeah, effectively. Oh my god. Like, I just... I didn't think I would be longing for long riders. Yeah, like, it, at least long riders... Well, I don't know if they... I mean, that was a... Long riders was the picture of... Uh, pointless randomness. Right. But, like, it felt like more things happened. <laughs> Even um, if nothing really happened, you know what? They went cycling! Yeah, they... Yeah, well, right. Yeah, you're right. I guess no one rode a bike this week. They <laughs> talked about bikes a but lot. You know, I mean, Long Riders had their, like, one episode where they didn't do it. And yeah, that one was pretty awful, too. But, yeah. like, we at least saw that there was a cohesion to this group. Like, we, we... It's like, did I buy it? No, not entirely. But at least it was there, and they were always cycling together. Like, at the very least, you could justify that the entire point of that episode... Was to establish, like, okay, so these are how these girls fund their activities to do this. This is just, okay, well, we've learned about bikes, and we know that they're expensive. The end. <laughs> the end! Like, we still haven't even gotten to the point where we even have bikes yet. Like, yeah. at the end of the episode, they mentioned that uh, Tomoe is going to be able to pay for her bike, I guess, for working more around her house. Yeah. And, I mean, he already has one, and Fuyune is rich as sin, so there goes any <laughs> conflict there. Like, literally the only one where there's any conflict for this 
is Hiromi. Yeah. Um, and, uh, real ahead. quick as well, I want to just point out that the cost of her bike was 400,000 yen. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's definitely less expensive bikes. Right, like, again, I, I hate the fact that Long Riders is making me defend it. Yeah. But it's um, like, at the very least, that was a little bit more believable for the prices that, you know, somebody could afford, because that was, like, in, like, the six, uh, like the 60,000 yen range to, like, at the very top end, like, 100,000. Like, okay, that's a lot, but that's still a little bit more manageable. Yeah, ba- I mean, basically what happened with Long Riders is that she went to one shop, and they were really expensive, but then she went to, like, and bought a used bike, and she was like, oh, well, that was more manageable. And right. then I'm like, well, that's probably how things work for people but here um because uh hiromi found her bike of destiny because she was walking through a shop and they had reduced color and then out of nowhere she saw from the corner of her eye the perfect bike that she was you know destined to ride so she has to get it because it it called out to her um which is totally out of sync with the vibe we've gotten from the rest of the show. Yeah. We've, we've never had this, like, mystical connection with your bike thing <laughs> until now. Um, but they're like, well, I guess I have to pay $4,000 for this bike now. Like, all right, I guess so. I guess we're just doing that then. Yeah. Like, I just, this should have been episode, like, again, this should have been episode two. Like, this entire episode, like, from what we saw in this episode, like... This could have been, like, the first five minutes of, like, the episode building into this race that they're establishing, like, easily. So, before we move on, do you want to quickly discuss Corone? Yeah, I was going to bring it up. Okay, so, Corone is a totally adult guy's for realsies, uh, <laughs> who also decides to, like, because she looks like a little girl... Like, all the girls mentions, like, oh, she's, like, a cute little girl. And she's like, no, I'm really an adult. I own this bike shop. Yeah. And uh, she also wears cat ears and a cat tail for some reason. Yep. Uh, she also uses the annoying, like, little... Like, this is a lesser known aspect of that type of character. Where she, like, has, like, a little pointer that has a hand on it that points for her. And it's like... Oh my god, just, this got really, really creepy. Well, it just got pointlessly creepy, basically. Right. You know, like, where did this random Lolita character come from? Yeah, and basically. And why is, and if this show, I, I don't know, it, it, it's funny because the show frames itself like it's trying to teach girls that they too can buy a bike and that it's fun. You know, that's right. sort of like a lot of where the message is. But at the same time, you're like, wait, but is the audience mostly male? Because, yeah. you know, it, it feels like the show is pretending that its audience is females who need to be encouraged to bike. Right. But, the act, they, but they know the actual audience is, like, male. Right. Who just want lo- their lolitas and their archetypes and whatever. Right. And it's just... <sighs> And it's super creepy that they have to keep reinforcing the fact that she's an adult. Like, just... It's almost creepier than if they had said nothing and just mentioned, yeah, no, she's the bike shop owner. Like, she's an adult, don't worry, guys. But they keep saying she's an adult. Like... Mm. Oh, my 
my god. Ugh. We don't we don't need to dwell on it anymore. It's a it's a bad show and I I, I I I can only say that I look forward to meeting Sandy McDougal. <laughs> I did want to uh, touch upon one other th- uh, one other thing that you would actually mention there, which was uh, it does feel like it's touching a little bit into what we were talking about with long writers about like the point of long writers, which was kind of t- meant to be like this sort of gentle encouragement to otaku to maybe try and do something. Yeah. Like, that's kind of what this feels like, only it feels even more, somehow it feels more ham-fisted in that regard than Long Riders did. Because literally, all we did, we had like a good, like, five-minute section just discussing the different types of bikes. Like, at the very least, in Long Riders, it was framed as an actual conversation between different characters. Yeah, Here this was like a lecture. Like, this was literally like a lecture. Just like, okay, girls, sit down. I'm going to teach you about all these different types of bikes. And it's like, okay, I guess so. They're just trying to tell Otaku, hey, guys, look, you see all these girl characters here? Guess what? Well, you know, here is also information on bikes. Maybe you want to deal with that? Huh? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's the most unnatural way to deliver information. Like, what kind of bike store has a lecture set up with presentation materials <laughs> to um yeah it was out of control uh anyway um all right well you yeah, want to go, go on and talk about something we actually like yeah sure we'll <laughs> we'll finish up with TQ season 4 okay um so there was only one um multi episode arc this season right uh in which the girls went to the beach um <laughs> and uh they discovered that the water was cold as kanoe said like a wife after three years of marriage <laughs> um they decide to play beach tennis where... right which is an actual thing they did point that out in the episode yeah well i think it was mostly treated as a joke because like they hit the they uh serve the the ball and it doesn't bounce it just lands in the sand right. and they're like ace ace and they're like this is a hard game to play um and then they insist on getting beach gum because you can't go to the beach without getting gum um which isn't a thing but they just insist it is and uh, they end up floating out to sea um and they have some funny gags in the second episode about seeing like a kombini in the distance and they're like oh let's swim towards it and it turns out it's just tiny like you know and they they see a giant ship come approaching them from the distance (laughs) but it turns out it's just a toy ship and it was always that small and it stays that small um and then they get uh forced onto another island and they meet jack sparrow and it's and then just sort of ends (laughs) as this show is wont to do um the a c- couple other episodes that stood out uh they have a i don't remember if we've seen him before but this another character named oshimoto we have seen him actually uh he, i think he helped out uh if you remember the pog gang gang from West oh yeah 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 he was the one right. who defended uh nasuno Nasen. from them yeah 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 so he shows up again um and he talks to nasuno and uh he invites her to his soccer game um he shows up and uh, the other team has a zebra <laughs> a zebra wearing a uniform right. um but they and so uh 
uh, Oshimoto's team decides that their strategy is that they're going to all stand in a circle and hold the soccer ball with their heads and run into the goal, but they just get attacked by zebras um, (laughs) and lose. And not to mention his own team says that they would rather play Dragon Quest than soccer, so they want to go home. Um, (laughs) And two two other two other episodes that stuck out to me the. they had one where they decide it, it's summer, so they want to catch bugs, and then they discuss whether this is too much like Pokemon. Right. Um, I, I love the fact that they reference, uh, like, they have that thing with the mushroom where uh, yeah. Nasuno finds a mushroom, and they talk, start talking about, it's like, no, there's a bug that, like, where's a giant mushroom on the bat? On his back? It's like, that's Parasect. Like, like <laughs> of all the Pokemon, Parasect is the one you reference? That seems to be a thing with the show where they're actively going out of their way to kind of, like they make references to famous like things or like yeah uh people but they always go for like the very like the lower tier ones because out of like older pokemon i mean they are going with gen 1 pokemon but yeah. which you know original games essentially uh but of all the ones the, to choose that's like the least popular pokemon yeah, like, that's like who cares about parasect I, I apologize know. for any Parasect fans we may have out there. Yeah, sure. Tons of Parasect fans, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, but I, li- I liked it how they end up hunting these bugs and they realize they don't... They they show off all the bugs they caught, but it's just trash. Yeah, basically. Um, Konoe says, oh, this shoe bug is nice, but it's just a shoe. <laughs> and then it ends up devolving into a battle anime because the, two, the two beetles they caught turn into humans and have a battle right. in the sky. Well, naturally. Um, which is interesting, too, because they had the Pokemon references here, and that's actually how Pokemon was inspired, was that the uh, the original director was, uh, he he got the idea from watching two bugs battling, right. uh, which was actually kind of a thing back in the day for uh, children, was to actually have, was to actually, like, catch bugs and then fight them. Right. The, uh... And then the the last one I wanted to highlight was uh, the last episode of the season, where uh, Nasuno and Marimo uh, get jobs, and they get, they get jobs as seaweed girls, and so Nasuno is like the, <laughs> the hot model showing off the seaweed, um, but Marimo right. has to dress up as seaweed. They right. end up um, getting caught up in an argument between uh, seaweed otaku who argue about what the best kind of seaweed is uh, <laughs> and then eventually they they get another job in which uh, nasano becomes the pharaoh of egypt and right. then the season ends of course well i mean don't forget that uh that marmo is her slave so well yeah because remember they start off both as slaves in ancient egypt and then uh nasano decides to upgrade and become the pharaoh right of course i could um, how could i forget that important detail in this <laughs> I did like an earlier part of the episode when they're trying to figure out how to do the... I forget what the actual setup is, but effectively, uh, Nasuno turns into four people. And, oh, they're um, trying to hand out... Um, oh, like tissues. Like tissues, yeah. Like promotional tissues, effectively. And uh, Marmo asks how she does, and she's just like, well, I'm just trying really hard. Yeah, I'm trying really hard, so I am four people. Yeah. <laughs> ah, good show. Good yeah. It, it, it's funny because TQ, it's like the first season I was like fine with, I wasn't like super into. Like now it's probably the show I tend to look like outside of, uh, outside of like maybe March comes in like a line, it's probably one of the shows I look most forward to watching every week. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it catches you off guard because there's so many 
jokes per minute that right. you don't like there's inevitably there's going to be a few that just catch you completely off guard um and throw you right <laughs> like it's i guess it's also kind of nice too because it's like it's literally like it is actively going out of its way to say nothing oh yeah i mean yeah, like I mean, all the episodes like... end inconclusively there's no continuity <laughs> There's barely any established personalities for the characters. Like, yeah, I mean, exactly. we have, like, vaguely defined ones, but it's like, whatever. It doesn't care. Why should I? And it's kind of nice watching something and going into it with that type of mentality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there's there's a, there's a lot of good one-liners. Uh, I, thought, I thought this season was um, the, the best yet <laughs> for what that's worth. <laughs> Uh, there were a couple dud episodes for me personally, but for, by and large, it was a good one. Um, Fair enough. All right, I think that does it for this week, Matt. Oh well, good, good. I'm uh, well, I'm happy to be here as always. All right, well, if you're happy to be here, maybe you can contribute something for once and hit the credits. I what? Our logo design is by James Ratcliffe. The theme music is "Fly High" by Burnout Syndromes, covered and performed by Luke Bartka. You can follow Koshiencast on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and our email is koshiencast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll be back next week with the best and worst from the world of sports anime, and until then, keep training.